0: And red everywhere. And uh, it's very pretty to look upon. Uh, But more importantly, uh, the church of our Lord is here today. And that's the most beautiful thing that I've ever known and seen. The story goes like this there was a tribe in the Middle East, and there was a family who lived within this tribe who were followers of Christ. And one evening, uh, the man, the father, was out hunting and some Muslim terrorists attacked the village. The man was able to take his family and leave the village and flee from there in the woods. And for days they were on foot running from the terrace. They fell asleep one night and slept too long. They woke up and the terrorists were upon them. The father was being dragged away from his wife and two children, his daughter and his son, and he could hear his daughter screaming for his name to save her. He did what every father would do, I would hope, in this room, and he fought with all his might and was able to get free from the two men that were holding him. He began to run towards his daughter, and there was a grenade that was thrown directly in front of him. He turned to run, and the grenade exploded and blew him off into a valley where he was knocked unconscious. He woke up hours later and was able to find out that they took his wife to their base. He goes back to his village. And he finds where his hut was with his family. He finds his Bible, which was burned. And next to his Bible, he finds his daughter and his son. They were killed. He gathers his friends and they go to the military base where the terrorists were staying. And where his wife was. They march up to the military base and the leader of the base comes out and says, what are you doing here? I want my wife back. You're not getting your wife back. If you come back, we will kill you both. Do not come back. The man comes back with his friends a second time. We won't our wives back the only way that you are going to get your wife back is if you convert to Islam if not we will kill your wife and we will make sure that you watch he says may I talk to my friends first and he permits them to talk to his friends. This is what amazes me about this story. He goes to his friends, and they are huddled around together. They do not scheme a plan together in order to save his wife. They do not try to get the other prisoners to turn on the terrorist leaders in the area. And they do not make the decision to convert to Islam but what they do is they pray and what they pray is they thank God for this moment and they thank God for this moment to glorify Christ in their bodies and they thank Him for suffering the topic this morning is suffering I wanted to talk about this because I don't really hear a lot of sermons on it. And I really enjoyed the topic and thinking about it. I've enjoyed my study, in fact, of this topic. Zach read us First Peter chapter four, verses twelve through thirteen. If you will, go ahead and start turning there. We're going to stay in First Peter. The entire lesson's in First Peter. Every verse that we're going to read, it's in First Peter. We're not going to read anything outside of the book. So that's convenient for you. But this morning I hope that we can leave saying, you know what? Suffering for Christ isn't so bad after all. As a matter of fact, suffering for Christ is a blessing. And I hope we can leave learning more about suffering as Christians. So if you will, First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. And we'll start there. Verse 12 reads this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial... When it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. We're going to stop right there. All three of my points this morning are going to be within verse 12 and verse 13. It's going to be very simple. What does Peter say at the very beginning? He says, Do not be surprised when you suffer. We have a lot of people today, they become Christians, and then they figure out that there's a lot of suffering that comes with it, and they look to God and they say, God, I thought we had a deal. I thought that you were supposed to take care of me while I believe in you and live the life that you want me to live. Is that the way it's supposed to go? I thought that's the way, that was our deal. We have a lot of people that have that mindset. Children, when you run in the morning, the 25th of December, probably the greatest day of the year, and you see a present and you open it up, it's a surprise. That's not the way the Christian life is with suffering. The Christian life should not surprise you when suffering comes about. I want to give you some background information for the context of 1 Peter. Peter's writing to some four or five congregations. And when you see the term fiery trial in verse 12, I want you to notice the fire. This could have been very close to the time period where an emperor by the name of Nero was about to come to rule. I want you to know what Nero would do to Christians. The Jews would come to Nero, the Roman government, and they would tell the Roman government who the Christians were. Some would even come, they weren't even Jews, and they'd say, we're Jews and those are the Christians because they hated Christians so much. And what Nero would do, this is terrible, what Nero would do, he would kill the Christians, he would take their bodies and he would take a long sharp stake and he would drive it through the Christians. He would stick them in the ground and set them on fire. That's the context of this passage. The reason why he wanted to do it, he needed to see and have lighting during his parties. Why should we think that suffering should not happen to us today? Now, listen, I'm not saying that Nero, there's an emperor out there that wants to kill us like Nero does. I'm not saying there are some people that are wicked that way, but here in the United States, we really don't have to fear that. But what do we have to fear? We can still fear suffering, we can still experience suffering here. Why should we think that we shouldn't suffer today? There are some people that I hear living the Christian life in quotations. And what I mean by that is they're living the Christian life, but they're not suffering. Listen, the Bible over and over again tells us that we're going to suffer because we're living the Christian life. The question that I have for us today is if we are living the Christian life, preaching the truth, teaching the truth, and living the way Christ would want us to live, doesn't that mean we would suffer? And if we don't suffer, does that mean that we're not living the Christian life? My first point I want to make is if we are living the Christian life, we're going to suffer. It's inevitable. And Peter's preaching that to us today. My next point If we could look on further in verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. If you will turn to the second chapter of 1 Peter with me. And we'll look at verse 19. And when someone outside of Christ, someone who's not a believer, when they read this, they're going to sit back and say, that sounds absolutely ridiculous. Why would you believe this? Why would you follow this? Why would you put yourself in this situation? No one would understand that. But the Christian who's living the life that Christ wants to live. Listen to these verses. Verse 19. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering Unjustly, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, one, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And one might say, well, I understand if you sin, you deserve to be beaten. You deserve to be punished. But that makes no sense if you're doing good and you're being beaten for it. Why should I rejoice at that point? It's ridiculous. Keep reading. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. There's a man who did good, but suffered for doing good. The Bible says, For this you've been called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. I tell the story of a married couple... Laying in bed one night, very late, just in the middle of the night. And the wife looks at the husband and wakes him up and says, Do you hear that in the other room? And the father wakes up and says, Yes, I do. The little boy, their little boy, in the other room, the mother thinks, listen to him laughing in there, he's talking into sleep. How sweet is that? And the father is not laughing. The father quickly throws the covers off and runs into the other room and picks up the boy because he can't breathe. And he runs the boy into the bathroom, the only thing that the father knows to do at that time. And he turns on the hot water of the shower so that the steam will open his air passageways. And the father holds that boy until he can breathe again. When the boy grows older, he's talking with his dad, and he learns something about his dad. I learned that my dad, when he was younger, when he was a baby was approached by his mother in the middle of the night because he couldn't breathe and his mother fell on her knees and prayed to God to save her baby after hearing that my relationship with my dad felt stronger I don't know why. I guess it's just because we shared the same suffering. When we live for Christ, Christ suffered for us, we suffer for Christ. How can our relationship not grow in strength? But I want you to notice something in this passage in chapter 2. Go back to verse 19. And we read back down through 19 through 20. And notice the last part of verse 20. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Why is it a gracious thing in the sight of God that we suffer for good? Because when we suffer for righteousness' sake and for Christ's sake, we're showing Him how much we truly love Him. if we're not suffering for Christ. And this is something that I struggled to figure out how to portray to you and how to say to you, but if we're not struggling and we're not suffering for Christ, do we really love Him? If it's a gracious thing in the sight of God that we suffer for Him, showing Him that love, and we're not suffering, how can we say that we're loving Him? Romans chapter 5 verse 8, I'm sure many of us can quote it. It's usually up on the screen while we're taking the Lord's Supper. But God shows His love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can you say the same thing about Christ? That we show our love towards Him. We show that love so much that we would die for Him. My second point is we should rejoice in our sufferings because in those sufferings for Christ we're growing a relationship with our Lord because we're sharing the same sufferings that He did. Lastly, in verse 13, back in 1 Peter chapter 4, Verse 13 says, But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. That was our second point. But then this, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 1 Peter chapter 1. And let's go to verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 1. And let's read verse 6 just together. Verse 6 says, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Listen, these people that I just described to you, we all are on the same page here. They are going through trials. They are going to have their friends killed. They're going to be killed. They're being tested by Satan. Why? Because they're living for Christ. I'll ask you the question again. Have you ever suffered for Christ? Have you ever felt worried? Have you ever had anxiety? Have you ever been tempted by Satan because you're trying to live the life that Christ wants you to live? Have you ever been falsely accused? Have you ever been insulted? Have you ever lost a loved one that died in the Lord? Have you suffered for Christ? Two Friday nights ago, our family went to Olive Garden and had probably one of the best meals in the world. That was expensive. But we went to Olive Garden and had the best time. We laughed and cut up. I ate cheese sticks. That made me happy. And it was wonderful. We had a wonderful time, and just I was sitting back thinking that night. I kind of got quiet at the end, and I thought, what a wonderful family that I have, and I'm so thankful for. On the way back, way back home, my mom gets a call from another family. A very family that's very close to us. They lost their youngest daughter. That should never happen. That should never happen to a family. A good family. I'm sure at the funeral, the man who gave the eulogy said something along the lines of, a father and mother should never see their child die should never be there for the burial of their child. Why does that happen? And we read verse 6 together. And we read about the various trials that we go through in this life as Christians. And we know we've got to be there for one another. We can't do this alone. But on top of that, after we see the terrible things that happen in this life and we're learning about suffering altogether, we can't read over verses 3, 4, and 5. Read with me those verses, please. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, listen, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We're born again to an inheritance, verse 4, that is imperishable. There's no more death. That's our heaven that we have. Imperishable. No father or mother will have to bury their children or children bury their mother and father anymore. What else does it say? Undefiled. There's no more temptation. There's no more temptation to sin. Satan can't be there. He's not allowed. He will never show up there anymore. This is where we are. Where Satan is, we're in the world. Heaven, he's not going to be there. You better believe it. And lastly, unfading. When we get to heaven, it'll be just as beautiful a thousand days after than the first day when we walked in. Never have to change a thing. That's the place that I want to go. When we think about suffering, in this last point, We suffer here in this life so we can go to the place eternally where there is no suffering. That's the place that I want to go. If I can bring back that young girl who passed away just a week or so ago. I said something along the lines of a father and mother should never bury their child, should never have to see their child pass away from this life. And I want to bring your minds to the cross now. The mother of Jesus. Mary had to watch her son be killed and be buried. Should have never happened. But He's given us eternal salvation through that. And to us, we're forever grateful for that. Let's rejoice in our sufferings and let's always glorify God in them. This evening, or this morning, if you have not obeyed the gospel, by believing that He is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God, John eight twenty four, by repenting of those sins that you've been committing, Luke thirteen three. By confessing Jesus Christ as Lord Romans ten, nine and ten, and being baptized in water for the remission of sins. Acts chapter two, verse thirty eight. That's the way they did it in the first century, and that's the way they did it in the Bible. And we're so thankful for that plan of salvation. If you need prayers, we love you so much. And we would love to pray with you. So come forward please now as we stand and sing.